Hello, Creator Nation. I'm Jay Akunzo, and you are listening to Unthinkable, the tastiest show about creativity, with incredible stories of those who ignore what they're supposed to do and instead follow their intuition. Today we share 10 tips and tricks for transforming your career into the creative life you've always wanted. Number seven will blow your mind. Then we've got one of the biggest influencers in the entire marketing world on the show, and he'll share... (laughs) I was going to say the one biggest secret to follow for everybody to be successful. Honestly, I don't know how anybody actually speaks like I just did and takes themselves seriously. And worse, why people react to that stuff. But more than ever, we seem to be surrounded by that kind of behavior from brands and individuals alike in the business world. From cheeseball hosts to clickbait headlines, fire hoses of listicles to awkward brand mentions in your content. On and on. All the cheap tricks and the gimmicks keep on coming, all focused on short-term gains. What the actual heck is going on? Today on the show, Jumping the Shark. Why people who follow their intuition need to sniff out and avoid these gimmicks in order to be craft-driven. Once again, I'm Jay Akunzo, and you are listening to someone who's just not that guy. Stick around. On September 20th, 1977, millions of people gathered together around their TVs to watch the season premiere of an iconic show, Happy Days. In the opener of season five, although the characters were familiar, the scene was anything but. They'd all traveled to LA, where Fonzie would have his manliness and his courage challenged by a local. And he decided to respond to that challenge by doing something completely insane. He'd go water skiing at high speed, go up a ramp, and jump over a shark. And the shark was held below that ramp in a net. Since then, the phrase, jumped the shark, has been used to refer to something that falls back on a gimmick or something that changes in an unwelcome way all in the name of getting some kind of quick result, like, say, a TV rating. So why the hate? Well, typically in these scenarios, something just doesn't feel right. Like with Happy Days, for starters, the show is actually about the nostalgia of an American childhood in the 50s and 60s, not this superhero-like character in the Fonz doing things that nobody could relate to. Then there was the issue of the continuity of their story. Two seasons prior to the shark episode, Fonzie had done something similar where he tried to jump over 14 barrels on his motorcycle to show somebody he was courageous. And that left him badly injured, admitting to everybody on the show that that was probably a dumb idea that he shouldn't do again. Something doesn't add up here. Millions of people watched the episode and millions kept watching Happy Days afterwards. And yet today, jump the shark is that phrase we use in such a negative way. Clearly, there's some sort of gap between what the data says works and what our intuition is telling us. And in that scenario, you and me, we follow our intuition. It's unthinkable. Welcome to Unthinkable Stories about what happens when you follow your intuition. I want you to start today by thinking back to our episode, 
two weeks ago called In on the Secret. In that episode, we heard the story of an artist in Brooklyn who starts his projects with uh, an odd frame of mind. And we talked to an internet legend named Frank Warren, the creator of Post Secret. And Post Secret is a blog that shares millions of secrets with the world. In on the Secret was about why we as creators so often hide our big ideas like their secrets. So if you missed that episode and our slingshot last week, go back and take a listen. Because today, we're taking it all one step further. Yes, in sharing our ideas with the world, we want others to accept them in theory. We put out our secrets and we want positivity back. But once we actually execute on those ideas, we also want those ideas to work, to get results. And in this desire to make something work, especially work soon, it's easy to jump the shark. It's easy to just deploy all these clickbait, pop-up, overly search-optimized bits of content and volume and just shouting all of that junk. But here's the deal. I know that that stuff disgusts you. However, it doesn't seem to disgust plenty of people in our industry. Good friendly, well-meaning people who still somehow rely on all that attention-grabbing stunt work to get results. You know, I I think that the stunt just to pull a stunt, just to pull ratings or just to pull viewers at this point is probably not the greatest strategy because viewers are fickle and we they have so many options now. That's Emily Hershey. She's a writer for the Netflix show The Ranch starring Ashton Kutcher. And I went to talk to her to figure out the answer uh, to one question. Why do we dislike all those jump-the-shark moments while others don't seem to mind? Emily thinks that all those stunts that other people try are them trying to outshout all the noise that exists. But instead of asking how to cut through the noise, she thinks that we should start out with a much simpler question when we create pretty much anything. Where is there less noise to begin with? what is an audience that isn't really, isn't necessarily seeing themselves on TV? For her show, The Ranch, they decided it was people living in the middle of America, working in rural areas. That was their niche. And choosing a niche, according to Emily, is the best way to create a TV show in an era with more TV shows than at any point in history. Now, don't misunderstand. In choosing a niche, that's not an excuse for getting no results or just a few. The stakes aren't lower for Emily or the team making the ranch. They still need to deliver results and do so quickly. First of all, there's the fragile nature of TV show ratings and reviews that they're up against. And those reviews can come in many more forms than ever before. Besides like actual like the New York Times review, the LA Times review, those kind of things. um, You know, Twitter, IMDb uh, has like a rating system. We've looked at it a bunch. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, Reddit. People will just share what their friends have texted them, what their parents have said. I haven't really noticed it as much. But yeah, I mean, anytime the ranch is mentioned, I've Googled it a bunch of times to see what what's, you know, where it's popping up. On top of all of that, Emily also has to consider her own career. Breaking into TV is no easy feat. And she's dreamed of doing it for a long time now. When we were graduating, all of my friends were going into consulting and finance and government and practical, even, you know, even a job like marketing was much more practical. But Emily wanted to be a screenwriter. And it felt like saying I wanted to be an astronaut. But against all odds, she's doing it. And so she has to deliver results or else that dream 
might disappear. Despite all that pressure, however, Emily still resists the urge to use those quick win gimmicks. For instance, We can curse, um, which you can't do on network TV. But she and her peers actively work to edit out some of the shock and awe stuff. Because she knows when you're trying to appease an audience, it's a fine line. Not not giving, you don't want to ever willy-nilly give the fans what they want. And that's where you end up, you know, literally jumping the shark in Happy Days. But um, I do think that you, if you're, if it's something that you like doing and that you're seeing people respond to it, then you're just going to keep going down that road. Did you catch that? I think our answer lies right there. If you're making something you like and others respond to it, you'll keep going down that road. Picture two circles that overlap, Venn diagram style. The one on the left is labeled what you like, and the one on the right is labeled what others like. I think a meaningful career as a creator sits at the center. But plenty of people in business, good, friendly, well-meaning people, fall way over to the right. They're very externally motivated, focusing solely on whatever they think others will like. And this throws out all the power of their own internal senses of taste and intuition and creativity that could guide them away from all the stunts. So why do we feel so much disgust at all the cheap tricks? Because we lead with that intuition. We crave that middle ground, that overlapping area. What's something that I would love making that also gets results? And lest you think this makes us selfish, Emily thinks it makes you a powerful long-term thinker. If you're watching a show that you love and then they do something crazy, you might just be like, I don't really want to watch this show anymore. I'm going to just move on. Or if you start watching a show because they do something crazy and then they realize that they need, you know, they're only doing crazy stuff and you don't really know what the characters are and you're kind of confused on and you're not invested in the relationships, that's not, you're not going to get a lot of longevity out of that. Here's something I didn't tell you about the Jumping the Shark episode of Happy Days. The network dubbed it a huge success. Over 30 million people watched it after all, and Happy Days continued as a number one show for another six years. Maybe not because of that episode, but at very least, despite it. So, sure, we all want to make stuff that works, but not if it means doing something we know is cheap and gimmicky. But what if the stuff we know is cheap and gimmicky is working? Here's B2B Marketing 101. It is step one, drive people to your website. Step two, once people are on your website, get them to fill out a form. Step three, after they fill out the form, nurture them in air quotes, which means you know spam the hell out of them until either they buy from you, which only, I don't know, one to 2% of people are ever going to do, unsubscribe or die. That's Dave Gearhart. He leads marketing at a software company called Drift in Boston. And even though Dave knows that the accepted marketing playbook can work, it bugs him. And right as I was going to dig into why it bugs him, Dave's newest teammate walked right by our room, a writer named Eric. So I grabbed him a mic too. Yeah, sure. Uh, He's allowed to speak now. (laughs) Uh, Eric. Hello. Am I the first person to be... A two-time guest. You are the first repeat subject on this show. How do you feel? Amazing. Yep. He's the same Eric from our first ever Slingshot episode, Carving the White Whale. You might remember him from this gem that he dropped. 
<laughs> Keep calm and buff the whale. Best thing ever. Anyways, in Eric and Dave, I'd found two veteran marketers who live in this world where so much of the things that they supposedly know work actually annoy them. Things like, We did X, Y, and Z. Find out what happened next and do the stupid clickbait titles. I mean, that would be really terrible. And of course, You submit your post to... um, some kind of forum or to one of those community sites and then you go around your company and you tell everybody to upvote it and it's just the spammiest like just worst tactic ever but people are still doing that and the smartest tactic of all puppies as your feature image that's classic now it's easy to write off all of that stuff maybe a little bit harder to write off the puppies but still when you're faced with getting results and getting them fast you might start to compromise what you feel a bit It's like at the very same time, tons of marketers can't stand some of the things that they do and also rely on it because, hey, it works. Dave is the first to admit that. When he was first hired to run marketing at Drift, they used that familiar playbook. And especially effective for them were those forms used to generate leads, forms that would gate their very best content. Sure. That felt unwelcome to the reader, and Dave felt it too when he hit that forum on another site. But hey, it works. Well, for some people. As a writer, when your work is going behind these forms and you're seeing and feeling the flow that they have to go through to get your work, how does that make you feel? That's a good question. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is not good. That's Eric again. Especially when you are putting in a lot of time, a lot of hours lot of research to create something that you personally feel is like a very strong piece of content that has a lot of substance that's going to help people um, to then decide like and now we're gonna put it in this closet and only people that like come and fill out their information are gonna be able to get it like it just doesn't yeah it just doesn't make sense and guess who else didn't think it makes sense of all people the company's ceo So my CEO is a guy named David Cancel. That's my boss. And he hates doing things the way that everybody else does them. And uh, we were doing things the way everyone else does them, despite the fact that we wanted to build a company that did things differently. We were doing B2B marketing. We sell B2B software. and We're just doing it exactly the same as everybody else. And he said, the only way we're going to stand out is if we just say, screw that. And we just do everything completely different. And so they set all their content free. No more forced forms for people to fill out. In May of 2016, Drift removed all of their forced forms over their content. And they wrote a blog post titled, Why We're Throwing Out All of Our Lead Forms and Making Content Free. The response was insane. The response was from all the people who were doing the things that we wrote about. And, and it was like this light bulb went off. Wow, somebody else is thinking of it that we don't have to do it this way. And I hope that they, I hope that they can be the example that I can go show my boss. In the months following that change, Drift grew their product adoption by 30% and then 35% off an even bigger base month over month. That's incredible. This shouldn't happen. This is the best practice thrown to the wind and they're getting better results. And even weirder, even though they'd removed those four signups to get on their email list, guess what? More people started joining their list. So we completely changed our approach to content. We published one or two things a week now. And our traffic has doubled because we're focusing on writing better things. Um, And our conversion rates have gone up too. There still is a form at the bottom of the post because I still want people's email addresses. I think we do a good job with email. And so 
we're not forcing you to do it. We're saying like, hey, if you like this post and you're like me, which, you know, I go to Jay's blog, for example, I go to Eric's blog. I like this post. I want to put in my email address so I don't have to search for when you write something again. That's the way we treat those call to actions. 75% of our traffic is going to come from two posts. But yet there's companies that are just like every day cranking out blog posts where if you just spent the time and we do a ton, like, you know, we do a ton of promotion, like that is huge. We have, we lucky enough to have an audience, but we write fewer things. We make them better. We make them worth reading. And then we promote them versus just like becoming this factory of content. But now I'm thinking, surely if Drift is going to rely on publishing far fewer pieces, each of those pieces carry more weight for the business. And, and so as a result, they must come with more infrastructure, right? They need predictive analytics and detailed keyword research and all sorts of technology to inform what exactly to write next, right? Come on, have you heard like any of this show before? Of course not. I think for me, like I'm kind of self-motivated and I'll know when I think a piece is good or when it's finished just because you've kind of you just, damn it, I don't want to say well, you just know, but so it's... Good, okay, so good writing works, why? How do you know? Say what's on your mind, man. I know because I feel good about shipping this off to the rest of the world and letting everybody see it and engage with it. Exactly. They let the writer write. They unleashed their own creative tastes. They led with intuition and they course correct with data we attribute this content to the awareness that drift has and so it's not it's not the perfect attribution chart that you want like eric wrote a post that was viewed ten thousand times and here's many people signed up for drift it's like month over month is our direct traffic and you know word of mouth which if i look in my google analytics i'm going to chalk that up to word of mouth growing direct traffic is that growing every month is our stuff getting out there? That's the reason why we're doing it. Um, not so somebody's going to read a post today and then get a sales call tomorrow. Dave and Eric know that jumping the shark can work. It can drive good results. But they also understand that only by taking risks and following their creative intuition can they be great. Because if you don't do that, you're limiting your success. All of those gimmicks have a ceiling. Because they're not about how meaningful to someone you can be, and they're certainly not about how hard you can work. They're about how little you can try. You need to just hit the bare minimum of whatever you're talking about and get it done and ship it. And I think that's like part of the danger of being too data-driven. Like we, everyone always talks about B2B marketing. Oh, you got to be data-driven. You got to be data-driven. I think we all know like, yes, that's super important. But if the data is telling you that posts that begin with top seven is the best title format, that shouldn't mean that every single post you write from there on out has that format. It's like the data is useful to a certain point, but you're not writing to the data. You're writing for people. I think so. Marketing has come a long way because we can measure everything today, but I think that's actually started to hurt a little bit because um, everything is expected to be direct response marketing. Like Eric spent, in a, Eric spent a week writing this blog post and as a result, we got X number of signups. I actually thought of this the other day. In this world of crap content, I actually like working in it because I feel like 
I've been surprised at how much people have loved that stuff that we're doing because I don't think it's that groundbreaking. We're just doing what we think feels good to us and it's working. And so everybody's like, wow, you guys are doing amazing things. Like explain that. And I'm like, uh, I'm having a hard time with this. Like a little bit of imposter syndrome. I'm like, I don't, we're just doing marketing. Like I finally have the opportunity to do marketing the way that we want to do it. And that's what we're doing and it's working. And I don't have an explanation for why. Dave might not have the explanation as to why, but let me try to provide one for us. He says that he's finally doing marketing the way he wants to do it. Actually, you know what? No, we need to put the accent on a different word. So let's try that again. He says that he's finally doing marketing the way he wants to do it. He's intrinsically motivated. He wants to do it. It's not hollow. He has purpose. He listens to his gut. He listens to other people. And when we're intrinsically motivated to create, when we find that overlap between what works and what we want to make, we want to do it more. We want to improve it and tinker on it and get not good results, but great results. We become better and better at our craft until others assume we know some secret tactic or gimmick that they don't, but we don't. We're just doing the obvious thing that so many others are unwilling to try. We're making stuff that we feel good about as humans. It doesn't matter if you're writing for a TV show or marketing your product. It doesn't matter if you lead a team at a small company or feel like a number at a giant corporation. The only way you're going to make something great, something that has staying power and actually surfaces among all the noise out there, is if you enjoy making it. Period. It sounds so simple. Do what you like because chances are, others will like it too. And it can be that simple. No need to introduce deadly predators into this equation. In 60 seconds, I want to share how in the heck you can start doing the things that Dave and Eric and everybody here did when the world seems against you. Unthinkable is me, Jay Akunzo, and a cast of characters who keep me from jumping the shark. They include Andrew Davis, Josh Cole, Caroline Nuttall, Andrew Swinney, Elizabeth Davis, and Ryan Brescia. Studio support from Chris Higgins. Our theme music is by Tyler Litwin, assistant to the regional manager. If you like our show, there is just one way to get literally all of the show, and that's on our newsletter, which you can find at unthinkable.fm or in your show notes. The reason I say that is I share a quick personal note every Monday morning, and I often include bonus content that doesn't make the final cut of our episodes. In addition to that, I often share experiments we do only announcing it to our subscribers. Last time we did a series of what I called Unthinkable Team Meetings, where listeners and I jumped on a Google Hangout and we talked about our projects and our work and what we wanted to see out of the show. So once again, you can sign up at unthinkable.fm. Okay, time for this week's challenge to turn your intuition into action. So I'm sure you heard this and said, well, my boss, my client, or my industry wants me to strap on those board shorts and go up that ramp over the shark all the time because I have results to get. I get it. I've been there and Dave has too. And here's what he says to all of that. 
you're not just going to be able to like argue with the CEO of this company that this is how to do marketing, but you could start breaking off like little projects on your own and being able to show how those things are impacting the bottom line or impacting different metrics. Like, hey, we did this thing and here was the impact. That's a better approach than going up to your CEO or your boss and saying like, this is dumb, this is wrong. Even if you feel that way, that's just not going to help you make any progress at work. That is your challenge. Pick your rogue project for your own intuition. Make it small, make sure it honors your customers, but do it. If you're tempted not to, great, you're on the right track. That's the hard thing you need to try because nothing meaningful ever comes easy. And just think, in a world where so many people mail it in because they got to get results and don't do stuff they like, you can go this week and try something you like and start proving to others that it does work and it does pay the bills too. And that... is unthinkable. Shout out to Nick Graff, one of our listeners who's launching a side project about golf. Dude, way to turn your intuition into action. Best of luck. Keep it up.